Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Texas Sports Nation podcast. I'm Greg Rogan with the Houston Chronicle. Joined today by University of Houston beat writer Joseph Duarte. We're going to talk a little Cougar football and basketball. Uh, Joseph, how are you today? I'm good. I'm trying to figure out, did we ever decide, am I lieutenant or am I admiral? Because I, I felt like admiral after that tweet that I sent out from the uh, Rice game. And you mentioned me as a lieutenant. I, I wasn't really digging that title. You were using the word pathetic, which we, uh, of course, associate with our retired colleague, John McClain. So I wasn't sure which branch of the service you were in. So I'd like that. Ad- we'll see. Well, it's to be determined, but I'm going to go Admiral from this point on. All right. Admiral Duarte, you've had uh, we've got we're four UH games into the books. Three of them have come down to the final play. The one that didn't was a blowout loss against Kansas. But first, let's look forward. Friday night, UH starts their last season in the American Athletic Conference against Tulane at TDECU Stadium. Now that conference play is here, are the Cougars officially going to turn the page after this so-so start to the season? Well, it's a new part to the season, but I'm afraid we're going to see the same old Cougars. And I mean that, that we don't sort of know what to expect. They go into this about as banged up as they can be. Uh, they've lost uh, two significant players, uh, linebacker Malik Robinson a few weeks ago, and then the big one this week with Derek Parrish, the sack leader who was on a you know a record pace for the season for his career. And, and you know this is a team that now has eight or nine guys that are questionable on the injury front. So even though it's Hello American Conference, uh, the same issues are there. And it starts with lack of bodies, lack of discipline, lack of defense. You know, one week isn't going to change things, but they're going to have to hope that, you know, as Clayton Toon put it, it's a fresh start and a clean slate. And that's about all that they can really hope for at this point. You had a very interesting story in Wednesday's Chronicle about the penalties they've taken and how they lead the nation in various categories, whether it's number of penalties, yardage, penalties per game. Are we talking penalties that are made that are like mental mistakes or because I mean, I guess during the course of a football game, you can have good penalties, like just mistakes of aggression and whatnot. Then you have stuff like false starts or unsportsmanlike conduct. So how would we describe the Cougars penalty issues? Well, Dana Holgerson's favorite word has been stupid and stupid mistakes, stupid stupid crap. crap. You know, to kind of add add a word there, but 
Uh, 40% of those 43, Greg, so about 17 or so, have have been the pre-snap variety. And that's not the good type. Those are the false starts, the offsides, uh, things like that. Even the 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 uh, unsportsmanlike conduct ones fall under the lack of discipline category. Uh, and then, like you alluded to, you know, they had, they've had six pass interference calls. Uh, at least one of them I thought was questionable, and that was the, the Nathaniel Dell one against Rice. But otherwise, it's been, you know, as, as Dana put it, you know, you can't tug the guy, you can't push off, you know, sort of the over-aggressive type plays. But uh, in the grand scheme, you know, at least you have a guy who's playing hard or is, is in the moment versus uh, getting baited, for instance, on a on an unsportsmanlike. Or if it's third down and you make a stop and then, you have a penalty that extends the drive for the opponents. It keeps the defense on the field. So, yeah, they've sort of run the gamut on on the variety of them. Uh, I'm still waiting for a truly unusual one because the ones that they've had recently have just been sort of the same old song. And uh, it's getting to be old, you know, if you're Dana Holgerson listening to that tune uh, because they've had at least 10 in every game and it, it's adding up. You've been around Holgerson for four years now. What did you make of his, I guess, rant at the press conference following the Rice game where he basically said he's not responsible for these penalties and these mistakes that his team is making? You, you know, that it sort of comes with the comes with the beat. Uh, you know, part of part of me wants to say it, it's same old Dana in terms of, you know, he, he's a very, you know, he can be fiery. You know, he, he doesn't hold back. And, you know, that's that's how he's been, you know, whether it was here. West Virginia, uh, but you know there there's a time and place for some comments, and and I thought he he did the right thing to apologize on Monday because the comment about not taking responsibility sort of didn't sit well uh, from either within the team or especially the fan base because you know the first thing that people came to mind was well isn't that your job aren't you supposed to take responsibility aren't you supposed to motivate you know aren't you supposed to do all these things and he came out and he explained look it was the kind of the byproduct of four really stressful games that they played a lot of the mistakes they're making everything just seemed to pile up but you know in the end it it was a bad look for the Saturday and Sunday that it lingered and then you know he sort of stepped up and did what head coaches should do, you know, on Monday. You know, if you look at a college football head coach, they're they're not like the rest of us. They don't get quarterly evaluations or yearly evaluations. They get weekly weekly evaluations for four straight months. So if I looked at Dana Holgerson like a politician, what do you think his approval rating would be right now among the <laughs> UH fan base? You know, uh it it's it's probably in the teens. That would be my guess. Uh, it would be one of those. If, if you've got the, the, the November elections coming up, you know, he's got what five games to, to turn the, the public sentiment around. Uh, if you would have asked going into the season, you know, he might've been at an 85 or close to a 90%. You know, the, you had the, the big 12 vibes, you had the 12 win season. You had everybody talking about a new year six bowl, even with the triple overtime over over uh UTSA I mean he was he was in pretty good you know company and then the 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 Texas Tech 
collapse happened and then the debacle against Kansas. And then, you know, he joked this week that you guys should have told me we won against Rice, meaning the media, uh, because he took it as a loss. And I think a lot of people uh, that that follow the program that are fans took it as a loss to narrowly beat Rice. So, yeah, I've, I've seen in the last you know month and a half, uh, the approval rating is certainly uh, – gone down uh awfully fast and as you alluded that's that's sort of the nature of uh, being a, a college football coach yeah i think on the flip side kelvin Sampson would be like george hw bush during the first uh, iraq war i think he was like at 91 percent approval rating which is like i think the highest in recorded time so we'll oh, see he could run he could run for mayor governor president ambassador you know he, he could he could head nasa probably I mean, there's so many things, Kelvin, right now with his approval rating. And, you know, the scale only goes to 100. So, I, I you know, you got to factor in being a national title contender. Uh, yeah, he, he certainly uh, skews the, the curve uh, among coaches on, on the UH campus. You know, before we get to basketball, I want to talk about a couple more things from the non-conference slate for UH football. Obviously, they escaped San Antonio with that win, triple overtime against UTSA. There were some warts that were, that were on display, but... The next week against Texas Tech, is the tipping point of this whole season going to be that fourth and 20 play in overtime where if they get that stop, I think you're you're feeling very different about this team going into that Kansas game. And they might be three and one or four and oh right now, right? No, that 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 was certainly a a moment, pro, program shifting moment uh, as early season plays go because you know you can give up 19 and you walk away with the win you give up 18 and you walk away but you but you give up 21 and from that point on it just falls apart for you and that's sort of a a microcosm of where this team's at there have been three final drives or overtime well three final drives in regulation where houston has allowed a team to march you know 75 80 yards i think 56 and and the team has has kicked a field goal uh, in two instances, and in the third one, Rice had a chance to to score a touchdown in the end zone. Uh, that's just kind of sums it up. So you know that one happened in overtime, and and that was the worst possible moment and situation. Uh, but it certainly it's it it began the 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 black cloud over the program in terms of how things have gone, and it I think it took a lot of air out of them. So to speak, because you you're right. Three and one sounds a lot better than two and two, or who knows, four and zero, oh, and you're still in the New Year six discussion. You're still ranked. Uh, you got all these things going, and now you're two and two, and people are are questioning if you have what it takes, or if you ever did to win the American. What are some of the good things that you saw from this team during the four non conference games? You know, on the good side, I I like the 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 progression of guys like Matthew Golden you know he scored two touchdowns and you know he's shown that when they get him the ball he he can do special things now the offense as a whole hasn't put together that consistency where you see that you know just like if you ask me about Nathaniel Dill I, I think he's had good moments but you take away two punt returns for touchdowns and he goes from having you know a great start to you know just a good start and, you know, and that's not necessarily, that's not his fault. Uh, and, you know, I also think that uh, the, 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 I think recently the play of Tayshawn uh, 
Henry in the backfield has been a plus. You know, he's had over 100 yards uh, total offense in, in both games against Kansas and, and Rice. And, you know, that's a position that going in, losing Alton McCaskill, yet you knew there were going to be some some hiccups and, and some issues. But now that he's healthy or appears healthy, uh, he's starting to be a bright spot. But, you know, Greg, there's, there's, there's not a lot to, to pick from. You know, it, it, it maybe this shows how rough things have been, but another bright spot is the punting of Lane Wilkins. You know, he's second in the nation right now with, with an average, I believe last check it was like 48 or 49.2 or somewhere around there. You know, the Aussie has, has been huge in terms of flipping the field and putting teams in bad uh, field position. But when you give up 98 yards or whatever in return, sort of negates that. But, you know, those have been my, in my impression, what, what the, the good things have been so far. Obviously, they have prob- they have issues with penalties, and the defense has been unable to close out games. But what are, what would some of the other things be on your to-do list for conference play for this team? Uh, you know, a to-do list is to figure out, you know, what, what, what your rotation is going to look like on the offensive line. And, you know, I, I don't know if Nostradamus could, could figure that out right now just because uh, you've got the injury situation. I mean, they had, they had a, a converted tight end playing left tackle at the end of the, the Rice game. Uh, your regular starter at right guard is, appears to have lost his job to to Tyler Johnson, who's who hadn't played in three years while he was at Texas. And right tackle has sort of been a toss-up due to injuries. So that would be number one of, of on my list because it starts up front. I know it's a cliche, but with in Clayton Toon's case, uh, we, we've seen some of the, the duress he's been under and, and having to, to get rid of the ball faster. But when he's not under pressure, he, I mean, the guy can, the guy can make throws, the guy can make plays. And I think that's why we've seen him having to, to maybe scramble out of some, some situations in the early part of the year. The other, you know, to do list for me would probably, you know, it would, I would have never thought this, but on the defensive line now, you gotta, you gotta figure out how do you account for the loss of Derek Parrish. Now they're going to move some guys around. They still have Nelson Caesar and DeAnthony Jones, but behind them, they're going to, they're going to move some guys around. They think that somebody like a, uh, you know, Cedric Williams can be an undersized, you know, guy off the edge. They're going to bring Elias Bell from the interior out to the edge. They have, uh, Nadeem Tucker is the guy that they're looking at. So, uh, both lines to me are, 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 would be at the top of my priority uh, for what I would look to, to sort of, you know, figure out going into conference play. So we've got some potholes on Sac Avenue. Is, what, is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> yeah, there, there's a few that there's a, you know, they, I think they built a hospital at the corner of Sac Avenue and, and Cullen uh, because of all the injuries. All right, let's, uh, let's move to a happier topic. UH basketball. They started um, fall practice on Tuesday Kelvin Sampson, veteran that he is, even said that he had goosebumps for the start of fall practice. And I'm to say the expectations are high would be an understatement because we've seen UH as a preseason number one for some pundits. They're they're likely going to be in the top five, I would think, across the board. So as someone who's watched them play really more than anyone, you buying this talk about UH as a preseason number one, it's like we're back in 1983 or 1984. <laughs> Yeah, totally different team, but but I certainly think they um they merit it. You know, if if there's some 
some issues. It, it would probably, you know, you look at what they have in the front court and, and sort of putting that together. But yeah, I, I would buy stock early. Uh, if you can get in at this point on, on Houston basketball, uh, final four contender, you know, that, that, that seems to, you know, the, the bar used to be so low where, you know, getting to the tournament was the goal. And then you've seen what they've done the last, you know, three trips. Uh, they've got probably the, one of the best backcourts, if not the best backcourt in the country with Marcus Sasser, Jamal Shedd, and now, you know, getting also Tremont Mark back. So, you put all to that together and you have the the mad scientist Kelvin Sampson in the lab. I mean, he loses guys every year. I mean, this is a streak of, I think, losing four starters uh, or or close to it the last five years in a row. And they just seem to find a way. So uh, I, I do think that this has the potential to be a really special year. But if you listen to him, you know, he he's not putting a lot of stock into much right now because uh, he got the guys on the court for the first time this week to begin practice and he was ready to quote kick some ass uh, among the newcomers when you look at their schedule particularly the non-conference games what are the ones that you would circle in red alabama that's one that you know the way that one played out last year with the controversial ending uh that one's at home at the fertita center also oregon i think oregon will be ranked that one's on the road uh the week of Thanksgiving. Uh, and then, you know, you go to Virginia. And uh, last year, that game was set up thinking that it would be a nice bump in your in your net uh, ranking because of, of what they've done over the years. And they had a down year, so they didn't get really that quad one or two that they thought. I believe it was a two, maybe a three, but it didn't give them the bump that they, that they you know, had hoped for. Uh, now, in the end, it didn't matter, but uh, you know, those are three really good games early on. The 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 home schedule for non-conference doesn't jump out at you uh, as much. Uh, a lot of the, the, the good games will be on the road. You know, they play St. Joseph's uh, in Annapolis uh, for like the Veterans Classic. So, you know, there's there's a few nice ones in non-conference. And then you've got the the regulars like Memphis and Cincinnati uh, in, in the conference play. Who do you think will be their biggest opposition, you know, as far as the American Conference Championship? Would would, would it have to be Memphis right now? Yeah, I, you know, Memphis, maybe SMU. I, I, I would lean towards more like Memphis. Uh, you know, it was interesting this offseason, you know, Penny Hardway loads up and, you know, Kendrick Davis was a, was a guard who, who entered the transfer portal uh, after playing at SMU. And, you know, there was some thought that, you know, depending on what Marcus Sasser did, that he could end up at Houston. And he ended up in Memphis. So that certainly gives uh, the Tigers another scoring option. Uh, you know, SMU is, has been a, a tough game the last few years. And, and you sort of never know what you get out of the others. Like, you know, Cincinnati sort of had a, a bumpy ride the last few years. And then Wichita State is another one. So uh, clearly, in, in my opinion, Houston is, is head and shoulders ab- above the rest. Uh, but I'm going to, you know, withhold the the judgment for the most part. I'd like to, I'd like to see how those new guys mix in. And you know, Jarris Walker is is the five star, true freshman, uh, biggest signing in the modern recruiting area for for Houston. You know, this is a kid that that many think is going to make an impact. But if you ask Kelvin, as we did on day one of practice, he's like, none of these newcomers are even close to impacting winning. 
And that sort of shows what, what his teams are about. They're going to rely on the veterans to, to take the lead uh, for most, if not all, the season. You and I have discussed this before, but is this a year UH really starts to get respect from pollsters? Because I've always seemed to notice that they get a lot of respect from like game broadcasters. You listen to play-by-play guys or analysts, and they're gushing about Kelvin Sampson and the culture he's created there. Then we look at the AP poll on, say, every Monday, and some guys aren't ranking them, or they're ranked like in the low twenties. I'm just trying to I'm trying to figure out the disconnect there between uh, one set of media and the other. You know, as, as a former voter for the football poll, I thought 25 teams based off of that week what was tough to do. And now you've got 25 teams with multiple games a week that you sort of have to to peck in, put in a pecking order to decide your ballot. So, you know, I get that part of it. If that's one of the reasons why Houston maybe has not been on the radar as much. But I also know that that at least my belief is that some voters have have held Kelvin Sampson's past against them. You know, the whole impermissible phone calls that, by the way, are, are legal now. I think a lot of people sort of tied Kelvin in to, to being a cheater. And, and I know that that's definitely not the way the polls are designed, but that's part of the human element. And I and that would not surprise me if some people just have a disdain for anything Kelvin Sampson. And that's sad being a media member when, when, when you're supposed to be impartial. Uh, I also think that, you know, we're starting to see that respect uh become more consistent. I mean, I've seen nothing but praise for Houston the entire offseason. All these, you know, whether it's Andy Katz with the NCAA, uh his early brackets, uh Joe Lenardi uh having Houston as a number one seed in, in his preseason bracketology. I mean, people are coming around and you know the next step is you know, to Houston to win it. They got to a final four and to to get to it again this year. It would literally be about ten, five to ten minutes from where Kelvin Sampson lives, and the same from from campus. Uh, that would be a a moment to to remember because they it would probably be an entire red pack crowd at NRG. So uh, we'll have to see, but but certainly uh, I've seen more favorable, you know, preseason buzz for Houston than than I've ever have in in the tw- twelve years I've been on the beat. We might have to research last time a team played a Final Four in its backyard. I think it's been I a while. I did that. I did that uh, a few months ago uh, when our boss asked me to sort of pick a, a an early four for the Final Four. And I think, uh, you know what? We're, we're gonna. I hate not having that answer for you for this podcast, but but it, it's it's only happened, I believe, a couple of times. And you have to go back. It's happened once in maybe the last ten years, but then you have to go back like in the 60s and stuff, UCLA and playing in Los Angeles was one. I think it had to do something with maybe Butler and Indianapolis. That oh, yes, when one. when Gordon Hayward missed a shot at the buzzer. I think that, that might have been the one. Yeah, and I, I think Duke played in a Final Four in Charlotte when they lost to Arkansas in the 90s. They're probably, But that's not quite in your backyard. That's a little bit of a drive from uh, Durham to Charlotte. Joseph Duarte, always good chopping it up with you on the University of Houston beat. Uh, Look forward to your Saturday off after a Friday night game. And obviously, uh, we're looking forward to basketball season. Thanks very much for your time. Appreciate the time, Greg. Thank you for listening to the Texas Sports Nation podcast. For more University of Houston and 
other Houston sports coverage, please go to HoustonChronicle.com slash sports. 